Everybody, you are listening to List It, my show where we rank and debate things in pop culture. I'm very excited. We're recording this episode on uh, Wednesday night following the Tuesday election. And so the whole construct of this show is it makes arguing and debating about things fun. Because if Lord knows, <laughs> it has gotten unfun to do such things. But uh, the contract of this show is we can find trivial things to argue and debate about. I'm very excited. My guest today is my good friend, uh, writer, journalist, marketer, Adam Smith. Adam, welcome to List It, man. Oh, man, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me on. It is an absolute joy to be back in the back in the saddle with you my friend oh you too man it's been it's been too long it's been way too long since way we've too done long this. yeah way this. too i feel like i feel like jesse and frank james reunited <laughs> <laughs> well adam i i'm 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 very excited about our topic today because we were we were kind of going back and forth on what we should do and i kind of teed i teed over to you i was like hey what if we do our favorite unintentional action movies because i feel like that i feel like there are two genres where unintentional comedy works really well. Like, yes. like unintentional comedy can work in drama, but it's usually not a whole movie. It's usually just like a scene or two that didn't work. Either the entire action movie is hilariously bad or the genre that you chose, the entire horror movie is, is, is hilariously bad. That, exactly. that they just work, yeah. Exactly. They're the, they're the only two genres where a really badly made movie is as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable, than a really well-made movie. Yeah. Dude, you nailed it. Because like, what makes horror and action kind of special, just as movie-watching experiences, is that visually, they kind of stand apart. Because you can pretty much do like, basically, drama and comedy, a lot of the work is like a stage play. A a horror action movie won't work as a stage play because you need these big, scary set pieces. A lot of times, I love I love ones that go unintentionally hilarious because of budget reasons, and you kind of feel bad for the filmmaker. But there's nothing better when they had the budget and it just didn't work. You know, they just didn't know how to do it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, so we're going to be ranking our top, our favorite unintentionally hilarious action horror movies. And before we jump in the list. Um, I gotta, I gotta ask, you know, we haven't seen each other's list, but do you have any that did make your list either, either on the action or horror side that you would say would fit in like an honorable mention for you? An honorable mention, uh, gosh, there's so many. I, the thing to keep in mind is, uh, I am a bit of a, a horror aficionado as it were. So I have seen somewhere upwards of 300 some odd horror movies. <laughs> You're like Gabe from The it. Office. Remember that? Like, like I, think, I think Gabe from The Office uses that as a threat against Andy. He like whispers in his yes. ear, I've yes. seen over 120 100, or 200 horror films. Like, yeah, <laughs> I know things. I, yeah. Except when I heard him say that, I thought, amateur. <laughs> um yeah, so I, I've watched a lot of horror movies. So yeah. there are so many, um, because there there are so many that are uh, really well done, but still unintentionally hilarious. Yeah. Like Hellraiser, for instance. The yeah. original Hellraiser is a made movie, but you can still sit there and riff on it through the entire thing. 
Yeah. And it's it's still absolutely hilarious in spite of its best intentions. Yeah. Well, and I feel like and yes, the competence with which it was made. <laughs> the filmmaking confidence is a huge part of this because Adam, I feel like you and I both kind of grew up as admirers of Mystery Science Theater 3000, where the whole yes. the whole conceit of that show was basically these guys stuck on a spaceship and are as punishment are forced to watch bad movies and they joke around about them. So I really feel like this was the podcast we were both born to do. Yes. Yeah, because I don't know about you, but I still I cannot stop myself from riffing movies out loud <laughs> while I watch them, even if I'm alone, yeah. <laughs> just because of watching Mystery Science Theater. Um, I'll say, like, I'm, you know, you talk about the impact that that had on us, that that show yeah. had on us. Yeah. The other day, Joel from Mystery Science Theater yeah. liked one of my tweets, yeah. and it made my entire day. <laughs> well, you, you feel so seen and heard by someone you yes. have so much respect for. That's cool. What was yeah. the tweet? What Do you remember? Uh, you will really appreciate this okay. because he was doing this, uh, this benefit thing. Cause you know, he's really big into puppeteering. Yeah. And so he does his puppet camp where they raise money for charities and stuff. And he was doing puppet camp too. And so he posted puppet camp Two. please don't post electric boogaloo. So of course <laughs> I posted puppet camp Two. The Legend of Curly's Gold. <laughs> it is. It's the perfect sequels reference, <laughs> which I think we agreed long ago that our default yeah. sequel title was The Legend of Curly's Gold. I've also I've also added Revenge of the Lichens as my default <laughs> sequel. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> I think it's like a spinoff of like the uh, uh, what's the video game zombie movie? There was one that was called it was something Revenge of the Lichens. I was like, okay, that's going up yeah, there. Underworld, I think. Yeah, Underworld, Underworld. Revenge yeah. of the Lichens. So that works as well. Yeah, too. that movie title assumes so much about your knowledge of the previous films. Well, one, what a lichen is, and two, exactly. what are they exacting? Ven- like, what, is, what, what is their exactly. reason what, for vengeance? What is, how have they been wronged? I, like, I, listen, Lycans. <laughs> like, you're like five steps ahead of me in this process here. Like, I need a lot of context. Let's, let's back it up for a second. <laughs> Who or what is a lichen? <laughs> and can we talk this out before, yeah. we, before we get to the revenge stage? Like maybe we, we try diplomacy. Another thing, there was an underworld one. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Like, there's so much about this that is complete news to me. <laughs> underworld two, revenge of Lycans. I'm going to need a minute to unpack this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, well, Adam, here's how this will work, man. I'll, I'm gonna, I want you to have the final one. So I'll, I'll kick off the list, and then um, I'll go from my number four, and then your number four. And we'll go all the way up to number one. I'm going to start with an action movie that I'm very excited to talk to you about. And I actually sent you a clip of this film just to set the tone for, uh, for this podcast. So my number four most unintentionally hilarious action movie is a film called Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And Adam, there is a lot to unpack here. Hard Ticket to Hawaii. It has it all. The awesome, pristine beauty of the land. The warm caress of perfect beaches the tantalizing wetness of the Blue Pacific. Hawaii, it's a great place to visit, but you wouldn't want to die there.
four of America's finest ready and willing to pay the price for paradise. Uh, let me let me read the official synopsis of Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which is the mid '80s action movie. And the opening the opening screen, by the way, and they still do this, but I feel like this was big in the '80s. It would show like a cool graphic and the name of the studio. The name of the studio that made this film was called Malibu Bay Film. Okay, <laughs> like right then, I know it's going to be good. Yeah, exactly. Because what they should have called it is money laundering operation. <laughs> <laughs> the, the production value is you, you, you. I'm very curious to know what the budget was and where that money was spent. Yeah, well, I can tell you. I can tell you where the money came from. <laughs> it's definitely cartels. Yeah. Well, speaking of cartels, here's the official. Uh, this is the official description from IMDb for the film Hard Ticket to Hawaii, which I'm assuming most people haven't seen. <laughs> Two drug enforcement agents are killed on a private Hawaiian island. Okay. Uh, not a bad setup. Okay. Private island. Donna and Tyron, two operatives for the agency, accidentally intercept the delivery of diamonds intended for the drug lord, Seth Romano, who takes exception and tries to get them back. Soon, other agency operatives get involved and a full-scale fight to the finish ensues. Complicated here and there by an escaped snake made deadly by toxic waste. There's a lot going on in Hard Ticket to Hawaii, Adam. There's diamonds. There's at least three movies. <laughs> there are diamonds. There are drug cartels. There's some sort of institution called the agency. Uh, and there is a snake that is, you know, because another in the film, the snake is bit by rats who have cancer because of toxic waste. And that's how it becomes toxic. Okay, well, I mean, that, that tracks scientifically. <laughs> yeah, I see what they did there, obviously. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's, you know, any, any Tom, Dick, or Harry walking down the street will tell you about a time that that happened. Well, it, it, and the other thing before I jump to one of the opening scenes in the film that, that we're going to discuss in, in depth is the, the music for this is a Yacht Rock original banger called Hard Ticket to Hawaii. And the, the chorus <laughs> is literally... <laughs> hard ticket to Hawaii. It's not paradise all of the time. And it's just like a, an original. Yeah, I just appreciate I think a lot of the budget went there. Here's a clip. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. It's not paradise all the time. It's a hard ticket to Hawaii. All right. So, Adam, before. I want to say this to people. Most of these, I would recommend like, hey, you should rewatch this and laugh. There's no point in watching this movie in its entirety because to my understanding, it's pretty gratuitous throughout in all the categories. But what you can do is just watch a bunch of clips on YouTube because that's the only reason to watch it. And I sent you a clip, Adam. And I'm just going to do the setup real quick. And then I want you to tell people what transpired. There is a... there. we, We appear to be on a Hawaiian island. And there are two gentlemen in a red Jeep Wrangler who see coming down the road, a gentleman doing a handstand on a skateboard riding down the hill. You take it from there. Okay. So he's coming down the hill on the skateboard for uh, utterly for no reason. He, he, he hot dogs with a handstand (laughs) as he passes them. Right (laughs) now he passes them by. They, they really pay him no mind. And then another guy driving down the road with a, a sex doll in his passenger seat, uh, stops and picks up 
upside down skateboard guy. Yeah, right? yeah. And apparently this is now an assassination attempt. I don't know. <laughs> They've added so many steps to this, like so many steps like, to it. Like the so, handstand on the skateboard. Why was that needed? I know. I feel like you know when you're trying to when you're trying to assassinate someone. You one of the first things that I imagine they teach you in assassin school is to keep a low profile. And probably the example they use is, for instance don't do a handstand on a skateboard in front of your target because that's liable to draw the eye. <laughs> well, because they even note, they they even note, the drivers of the Jeep then note, hey, I wonder if that guy is on some heavy doobies. <laughs> <laughs> that is the observation from the Jeep, is that this assassin is apparently doing heavy doobies. Well, yeah. so so fast forward, they encounter this skateboarder who has now, he has the inflatable doll. He proceeds to, to ride right by the Jeep and shoot one of the heroes at point blank range directly in the chest. Can I, can yes. I read the dialogue that happens after this guy is shot by the assassin at point blank range directly in the chest? With a rifle. With a, with a rifle. And I, when I say point blank, I mean, it is barely off the muzzle of the rifle. Exactly. Like the barrel is essentially touching his rib cage. <laughs> and this, this is the dialogue that happens at this point. Jay, how bad you been hit? I've been better, but I'll live. Now let's get that turkey. That is, that is the entirety of the dialogue. Here's a gun skater. Blow him away. No problem, baby. Out. He's got a gun. Oh. Jade, how bad you hit? I've been better, but I'll live. Let's get that turkey. They turn the Jeep around, and who <laughs> is celebrating his kill by doing more tricks at the end of the road? Yeah. Exactly. Can I just say, in reality, like, yo. Someone puts a rifle to your rib cage and pulls the trigger, you know, <laughs> like, and the guy next to you says, how bad you've been hit. It's like, my lungs are in your lap. How bad do you think? <laughs> that maniac on a skateboard just shot me at point blank range. How do you think I'm doing, Jay? <laughs> yeah, let's get that turkey. <laughs> but when they turn around to get the guy, the, the assassin... <laughs> at this point is literally just dancing with the skateboard at, you know yeah and one thing you should mention is that he chose to skateboard down the road using as his uh, i guess his human shield the inflatable <laughs> doll <laughs> well, i don't know much i'm going okay i'm going to out myself here and say okay. that i don't know a lot about inflatable love dolls <laughs> but i will say that it's my assumption that very few of them are bulletproof. <laughs> probably not the probably not the the best choice well, of something to shield yourself during an assassination. Well, well, the great thing about this scene, it doesn't really end up mattering that it's not bulletproof because no. what our heroes decide to do is the very rational decision of just ramming the guy with the Jeep Wrangler as fast as they can. And as he flies, as he's flipping through the air, they decide that in case, in case that wasn't a fatal blow by the Jeep Wrangler, the one guy who gets shot pulls out a grenade launcher 
and shoots the guy as he's flipping through the air with the inflatable doll. It's got like Adam in a vacuum. Is that one of the top 10 movie deaths ever? <laughs> like 100%. I mean, they hit the guy with the car and he flies easily five stories into the air. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, the 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 guy and aiming just at him flipping. with a grenade yeah. launcher the guy aiming at him with a grenade launcher is angling that grenade launcher probably 70 degrees <laughs> above the horizon yeah. to hit this guy, right? Which is a remarkable shot. Yeah, he hits him as he's flipping through the air and he explodes with the power of a thousand atom bombs, <laughs> right? Like, it's an explosion you're used to seeing in a Michael Bay movie when like, Someone drives a diesel truck into a grenade factory. <laughs> and, and, but he does it as he's flipping. But this, this is a human man. <laughs> Reminding you that he didn't, he didn't shoot, he didn't shoot a, a bag of unstable plutonium with this grenade launcher. He shot a human man filled with flesh and organs. <laughs> and, well, and I have to say too, because obviously I've done a very deep dive on this movie. That's not even this movie's best death scene. That one goes well, to a Frisbee scene that I feel the okay, need well, to talk about. I, I am amazed that the movie's best, best death scene isn't what immediately follows the, uh, the guy with the, skate, the skateboard guy being hit with the grenade launcher. Because then the grenade launcher guy turns his fury on the next most logical target, the inflatable sex doll. <laughs> like, like he shoots it with a grenade. Like you're culpable in this too. Don't act like you're even some though even though it's never made clear why the sex doll is in the scene at all. Like there, it, it wasn't like oh, there's a sex doll from earlier. It's just like no, that's just part of the scene. It was you know? in the passenger seat of the, the the getaway driver's car, and then the skateboarder held it as he was coming down the road. And we're supposed to understand the significance of this somehow. But, like, obviously the, uh, the grenade launcher guy feels that justice has not been served if that inflatable doll is allowed to live. If it's allowed to, if it's allowed to draw breath for one more day on this earth. <laughs> a great injustice has been done. Adam, I, I just sent you a link to the scene. If you want to watch while I describe, well, I, I don't know if you can while uh, you're on Zoom, but let me describe what I think is uh, arguably the the best death scene in, in, in our ticket to Hawaii, which it So our, our protagonist is uh, encounters a woman running down the beach with a frisbee in her hand. Okay. Uh, he, they are being flirtatious when all of a sudden, up on a sand dune, there is a very well-dressed henchman. He looks like a California henchman. You only know he's a henchman because he's pretty buff. And he also has a, a machine gun very casually slung over his shoulder. Okay. <laughs> Straight, you know, sunglasses, machine gun over the shoulder. Classic 80s henchman type of stuff, right? So uh, I, I guess that sort of thing goes in Hawaii. Yeah. I guess that, that just flies. Just so walking they, around the beach, machine the, gun slung over your shoulder the henchman asked the the woman who was running if the guy's bothering he goes no i'm i was just looking for a thrower that's all she was looking for well the, our our hero sensing that a confrontation with the henchman is imminent 
he decides to 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 to. Here's the thing in this movie: even the heroes are big time jerks. Like they are not good people. Like he literally looks at the woman and he grabs her frisbee and just throws it as far as he can to no one and says, "Get lost." And that's it. That's he needs the hero. He's the hero of his movie. So then he proceeds to challenge the henchmen in a in a very hostile frisbee throwing contest. The henchman takes off his machine gun at one point throws it into the sand and is doing dance moves with the frisbee and throwing it back as hard as he can to our hero. You don't look so hot to me. Oh yeah? See if you can catch this. Hey. Yeah, let's have it. This is for the Molokai cops. Well, this just escalates. So our hero, he almost looks directly at the camera when he does this too to wink. He pulls out another frisbee out of his bag that you see that he has taped razor blades around the outside of. He throws it as hard as he can to the poor henchman who goes up to catch it. It cuts off both of his hands and, and right into his, his throat. And just the guy dies a grisly death via frisbee right on the beach. That's the easiest way to kill this guy. He threw, you enticed him to throw the machine gun in the sand. Like yeah, he's with, unarmed with, at that with point. With the promise of a, a frisbee freestyle competition. <laughs> I can't recommend this movie. Uh, I can't remember. It also great spear gun death scene in this movie. You don't see a lot of those in action. Even the best 80s action. I feel like spear guns. It was pretty rare that a bad guy goes down through. Pretty rare. Pretty rare. The the one that really springs to mind uh, is the Deadpool, the the Dirty Harry movie where he... uh, he shoots the guy with the harpoon gun. Yeah. Uh, but that's like a commercial whaling harpoon gun. <laughs> this one is definitely one you go get a, you know, a flounder while you're, while you're you know, in the keys or something. Uh, uh. But to your point about the, the, the good guys being jerks, that's what happens when you make a movie with the moral compass of people trying to launder drug money. Through a production <laughs> studio. Exactly. It was it this was the height. This is their idea of heroism. <laughs> this this movie is what cocaine looks like. Like exactly. <laughs> it's like that's that that should be by I think by writer's guild rules, it actually gets a story by credit. <laughs> Just cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Su- script supervisor, cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> anyway hard ticket to why my number four adam what is your number four unintentionally hilarious uh, horror movie okay so my number four is halloween three season of the witch right you don't really know much about halloween halloween the barriers will be down between the real and the unreal and the dead might be looking in okay I'm so glad you brought this up because I was just I went down a, a horror movie rabbit hole recently and was kind of just interested in like what are the big horror movie franchises? Hallow- Halloween three. So it, it, correct me if I'm wrong in the setting up the context for this film, but Hallow- at the, it, Halloween was originally envisioned as sort of like an anthology where a different movie with a different villain would happen every year on Halloween. Every Halloween. Exactly. But Mike exactly. Myers was so, so popular, they did one and two. And, and this is when they tried to go back to the anthology thing. Exactly. Right? They tried to go the anthology route and it did not work. 
but but you know, since you bring up Halloween one and two, I I can't let that go by without mentioning the uh, the incredible like lack of medical ethics of Michael Myers therapist in the first two Halloween movies, <laughs> Doctor Loomis. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like you know he literally this is his patient. This yeah. kid has been his patient since he was like eight years old, and Loomis at the end shoots him out a window, you know, like <laughs> shoots him at point blank range and throws him out a window. Like you're cured. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, other, the other thing about the whole, the whole franchise too, is that it's the, that's the easiest because there's no, like what I, I've never seen Halloween three and I want to hear, I want to hear why it makes a list. But like the, the, the thing about like the Mike Myers movies is like, there's no supernatural element, right? Like right. it's just like a psychotic dude. That's invincible. Right. But yes. don't you wish when you're watching the Mike Myers movies that someone would go hard ticket to Hawaii on him? Like it's always like a broomstick or or a kitchen knife or or you know, they're they're going toe to toe with arguably the greatest fighter humanity has ever seen. Like the most exactly. the who, toughest, who strongest. No, he has no sensation of pain. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like the the best way, the best way to deal with him is to launch him. 50 feet in the air with the hood of your car and then shoot him with a rocket launcher. <laughs> That's and, what I'm saying. That's yes, what <laughs> and make sure that you also take out the inflatable doll he brought with him. <laughs> and and I mean, this is an actual finishing line from Hard Ticket to Hawaii. This comes right after a neck, right before a next step. Unprompted, the guy who is wrestling a guy to death and about to snack his neck goes, and then you die. And he snaps the guy's neck. That's a Mike Myers finishing. Okay. That literally, that's literally uttered and hard to get to why. Okay. Adam, what makes, uh, uh, Halloween three kind of stand out as, as hilariously bad. Okay. So the, the premise of Halloween three is that there are these, uh, these ads for Halloween masks okay. being produced by, by some mask company. Right. Okay. And the ads are somehow hypnotizing children. Okay. Right. And causing some children to like have seizures and die and yeah. all this stuff. And uh which can I say not a bad premise. Not a bad premise. Yeah. It's a pretty good premise. Yeah. And uh on the case is the doughiest uh like creepiest looking lead actor you've ever seen the, the yeah. guy i can't recall his name maybe if you've got imdb in front of yeah, you yeah 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 uh look he's a he's an absolutely he's a fine actor you know okay. been in heaps and heaps of stuff and, and he's uh, on the cover of the mask uh, 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 no no so he's he's the he's he's on the trail right uh, he's hunting oh, okay, down the okay. mystery yeah yeah tom atkins that's tom right? atkins tom yeah. atkins is a he's a fine actor yeah uh in this role however he looks like if a uh, if a boiled ham uh, had a child with uh, the with the United States sex offender registry, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> he has uh, I'm, not I'm your not typical clean. protagonist. <laughs> Exactly. I'm yeah. not claiming to be like a uh, uh, some sort of uh, like fashionista or anything, mm -hmm. but I will say this: if if you are blonde, do not grow a mustache, right? 
because there's something about a blonde mustache. You know, you see a guy like Tom Selleck, you know, yeah. like my goodness, yeah. that mustache, that mustache is like a, a firm handshake. Yeah. You know, where, when you see where, like, where, where, if you see like, if you saw like Nick Nolte with a wispy mustache or like a Gary Busey with, you know, kind of just that like kind of stringy blonde one, you, you, you just get a very like unsettled feeling by them. Exactly. You're like, you know, you you assume that this is immediately what I think of when I think blonde mustache <laughs> is uh, driving a beat up IROC Z shirtless, wearing cut off jean shorts <laughs> while spitting your tobacco juice into an empty Mountain Dew bottle. Nothing, right? nothing says stranger danger than like a blonde mustache. Yes, <laughs> and big so red flag. <laughs> Yes, so Tom Atkins immediately he's he's rocking the blonde mustache yeah. throughout this, um, and he's he's a divorced dad who's trying his hardest, right? Okay. Yeah. But uh, his his kids have uh, he he comes to notice this uh, Halloween mask thing through his children, uh, who are transfixed that they have to watch this ad, uh, which has uh, this music that plays every time, like this little theme song that plays, yeah. Uh, that's counting down the days to Halloween. Right. Uh, and it is like, it will, it will ring in your head long after you've forgotten everything else about this movie. Okay. Uh, and definitely not in a good way. Uh, but so he's, he's on the case and he's hunting down the, the secret behind the hypnotic. Uh, these, yeah, these hypnotic Halloween masks. Long story short, the, uh, the upshot of this whole thing, um, Tom and his his female uh, companion they they tour the mask factory to try and get to the bottom of what's okay. happening okay. with all this, right? Um, and uh, they they are joined by uh, the the screenwriter's idea of the comic relief family, right? Okay. The, uh, it's essentially it's essentially an Americanized version of Augustus Gloop okay. from. Uh, from Willy Wonka. Yeah, but um, but it, if it, when I watch a horror movie, I don't want comic relief. That just that that breaks the tension in all the wrong ways for me. Exactly. It's like every time you're on the screen, every time they walk on the screen, it's like you can almost hear like the zany kazoo music. Dude, you know, I, like I, 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 I had a big problem with Scooby Doo when I was a kid because, like, dude, just give me the mysteries, okay? I don't exactly. need I don't need the hijinks with Shaggy and the Scooby Snacks and, and and the Pratt Falls. Like, just give me the cool mystery, you know? Exactly, exactly. And that's what this is. Is it's like in the any like. Uh, like tension that they might have built up it's like this this family is essentially the dramatic equivalent of a wet fart right <laughs> every time they walk on screen right <laughs> they're, they're just they're they're cartoonishly boor, uh, like overbearing and offensive and yeah. just you know like you know rotund and sweaty <laughs> and uh, and they have their obnoxious kid with them and they're they're given the factory tour by the the head of the mask company, who's a, a kindly old Irish gent. Okay, right. And through this, we learn uh, as the the Irish gent tells the uh, you know uh, the the kid that he can try on one of the masks, mm -hmm. and then he has the parents go to this special room, and they're supposed to just kind of 
sit there and wait. You know, this is part of the the grand tour of the mask factory. Yeah, and we come to find out that these masks are supposed to, uh, they're supposed to somehow possess the children, and they're they're going to wreak havoc on mankind because okay. secretly this is all druid magic. That's the payoff. It That's is- the payoff. It's druid magic. The 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 guy running the mask factory is part of this this coven of uh, druidic magic that is trying to usher in a new era of darkness and insanity. Uh, and he's doing so with these these masks that will mind control children. Right now, on its face, that seems pretty scary. Yeah. Okay. Like. They're going to turn the children into mindless killing machines who yeah. murder their parents. I assume that's what's going to happen. That sounds pretty scary. Here's what actually happens: the kid and the parents are in the you know the the room that they've put them in in this facility, uh, and uh, the kid is wearing the Halloween mask, which looks like a, a jack o' lantern, yeah. right? And the ad comes on TV. You know, okay. and this triggering activates the, the yeah, yeah. triggering the mind control. Now you think, oh no, this is horrifying. Child turning against parents, he's going to murder them. There's nothing scarier in horror than a murderous child. Yeah. Right. Very unsettling. What actually happens is the kid's head disintegrates and poisonous snakes come crawling out of it. And bite and kill his parents. Oh my so this gosh! Is, this is Good this Lord. is their whole plan. This yeah. is their whole plan. You know, mm-hmm. like you know, like the the uh, uh, kindly old Irish uh, high priest. Yeah. You know, like finally our our centuries long plan <laughs> has come to fruition. Our evil masks will turn children's heads into poisonous snakes, who will then bite their parents. Like, uh, sir. What if the uh, parents are more than one snake length away from the children at the time we show this ad? Then God help us all. Our entire plan hinges upon them being no more than one snake length away. If they are more than one snake length away, then we are finished. Like, could they? How did they not think this through? Well, even even that, if you've seen Hard Ticket to Hawaii, you know the best way to kill a snake, don't you? is to shoot it point blank directly in the face with a grenade launcher, even if that snake is in your home, because that's a scene in hard ticket. <laughs> and I'll say this, should, it was a little over the top, very effective. <laughs> let me ask you, should you fling the snake hundreds of feet into the air beforehand? <laughs> only, only if it has an inflatable doll nearby. <laughs> you kind of register your aim, you know, you got to get the depth perception. <laughs> But anyway, that's uh, that's that's essentially Halloween three. The the uh, the whole thing ends on a, a pretty horrifying note. I hope people are curious to see a lot of these because when you hear them described, it's almost hard to believe that they were they were real things. Uh, Adam, I'm gonna for my my I'm gonna cheat here and do two and three at the same time because really it's it's really we're in double feature territory. Partly because one of these movies is a tight. 52 minutes long. So you can <laughs> <laughs> to really get your money's worth, I feel like you need to pair it. Now, uh, I, both of these movies, the reason it's a double feature is because they both feature the, a, a very critical plot point 
which is a remarkably easy land invasion of the United States by communists. In both <laughs> of these films, communists basically just show up on boats one day, like, and not, not like battleships. I'm talking like they arrived across the sea on, I don't know, probably 25 foot boats, you know, they just, <laughs> in both of these films, and I'll, t- I'll reveal what they are in a moment. In both of these films, there are scenes of communists in uniform, in communist, like air Soviet uniforms, just hitting the beach, running onto the beach indiscriminately shooting people and just running into the suburbs. That's the plan. Okay? Like, it's, like, it's the, it's the lazy river invasion of the United States. <laughs> it's like they floated over here on inner tubes. <laughs> yeah. Except they're in their military uniforms. Okay. Like pristine military uniforms. <laughs> they just show up on, and it's like just the be one of them actually another twist. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, you know, I'm going to reveal the movies and then I'll get into them. One is, uh, Invasion USA, which was writ was was direct, which was written by both Chuck and his brother Aaron Norris, the Aaron Norris, the, the the famous screenwriter. The other one is a very strange apocalypse movie that is very difficult to find. You can watch it if you're willing to watch it in multiple parts on YouTube. On YouTube, and the name of that film is If Footmen Tire, What Will Horses Do? Adam, I want to start with Invasion USA real quick. Time for dinner. No one thought it could ever happen here. They are an army of international terrorists. America has not been invaded by a foreign enemy in nearly 200 years. Their target, America. Their objective, control. 18 hours from now, America will be a different place. Now, only one thing stands in their way. It's time to die. Because this movie contains a a, a lot of of tropes, you know, Um, a lot of uh, tropes that I know you and I both love, including after this invasion, where uh, where communists literally just show up and start like th- th- that is the plan for the communists just to show up and start murdering people. Um, yeah, like like some military tactician for for decades in the Soviet <laughs> Union. You know, since <laughs> since essentially the the Iron Curtain fell, they've been like, how how will we finally <laughs> infiltrate America and destroy the great Satan? And all this like, hmm. <laughs> You show you up. About, thought about just showing up over there, like, <laughs> yeah. and then then the room slowly erupts into a slow clap. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the other thing you about have this, done it again, sir. You know, just speaking of military tactics with Invasion USA. Before I get too more into the clock, this movie maybe is the alt. This is where something in cinema peaked. And that is bad guys holding their machine guns waist high and just indiscriminately spraying stuff. Like, (laughs) I didn't see one bad guy aim a gun the entire... Like, literally, when they burst through... I don't know know what these communists are training because they just burst through doors holding their guns at their waist and just spray. Like, that is their whole (laughs) thing. At one point... So, in the plot of the film, the government tries to talk Secret uh, former CIA agent, CIA agent Matt Hunter, 
who's played by Chuck Norris, out of retirement to come fight the communists. Of course, he declines because that's what these guys do. This is how it always goes. Yeah. Uh, that is until <laughs> until the communists show up to his Everglades little retirement home that he has set up. And uh, I'm August, guessing he has what, a fan boat, doesn't he? All of the bad guys have fan boats. They show up in three fan, fan boats, boats and they and they they shoot that that little cabin with no no less than 500 rounds and three <laughs> shots of a grenade launcher. Little did they know, unfortunately, Matt Hunter's best friend, John Eagle, was in the home at the time and did not make it out. That, oh, act, no. that act would not go unpunished. That sets John Eagle being the John Eagle being a Native American, I assume. <laughs> we can only assume. We can. Okay. So, yeah, because... So, because I'm, I'm just going. I'm, I'm trying to reverse engineer how yeah. Chuck Norris's mind works. And like Hunter I'm trying Norris. to reverse engineer. Don't, don't, or don't forget, Aaron Norris too was involved. Yeah. So I'm trying to reverse engineer a movie out of how I assume minds like theirs work. <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is why immediately you know there are going to be fan boats. Yeah. <laughs> so there's going to be fan boats, and for some reason they decided to set this movie at Christmas. And these are devious communists, okay? Like, it is, there is a scene that takes place on Christmas Eve, and they are literally going to blow up a church on Christmas Eve for no tactical reason, okay? Like, it, it offends they, the communist sensibility. There's nothing communists hate more than, Christmas than Eve. the celebration of our Lord and Savior. There are also a lot of people at a shopping mall when the terrorists take over. And again... Their plan seems to be just to run into the mall and start shooting. Do you know what Chuck Norris's plan is to, to, to stop the invasion of the shopping mall? He literally rams his pickup truck. He didn't even look. He just rams his pickup truck <laughs> through the front doors of a Dillard's. Anyone could have been there. There are terrorists in the mall. People could have been running out that door. But Chuck Norris just drives his pickup through there, starts mowing bad guys down. Again, how does he know they're bad guys? He's kind of rolling the dice because he just blasts into the food part. <laughs> the, same, the same way he assumes that those things under his tires are mannequins. <laughs> I mean, this is literally a scene of the movie. He then jumps out of the truck and while, again, holding his Uzis at waist level, two Uzis demolishes the bad guys. The other thing, too, is I, they, this has... Two really great lines I just want to throw at you real quick. Where when things, even though guys are armed, him and the henchmen are armed, it often comes to fisticuffs. Like real, like real well, warriors it's, do. It's Chuck Norris. It has to. Okay, here are two lines that uh, that are uttered by Chuck Norris. I'm gonna hit you with so many rights, you're gonna beg for a left. Back in here. I'm gonna hit you with so many rights, you're gonna beg for a left. Oh yeah. <laughs> like it's comically bad this this one he, he as as he's like you know kicking one bad guy off the edge of a helicopter the guy goes i'll see you in hell and chuck norris responds be sure to send a postcard it's so good it is so good it is like a caricature of 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 what we of what we think of as a chuck norris movie well, uh, that's the thing is that, like, once again, you have to get yourself into the head of Chuck Norris, yeah. which is essentially like a plate of buffalo wings wrapped in an American flag, right? <laughs> um, and, 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 and topped with a dream catcher, right? If, 
if, if you put yourself in that headspace, I think you can pretty much reverse engineer any Chuck Norris yeah, movie. Yeah, with, with with copious amounts of denim woven in, you know? Exactly. Without even seeing it, you could probably predict every plot beat. Can, can I just say that he looks like he dresses like Jay Leno does when he does yard work, like double denim, <laughs> except it's like opened up. It's like it's like Jay Leno doing yard work on a hot day because it's just just layers of it's like he just shedded a couple layers to him. OK, number two on my double feature of remarkably easy land invasions uh, uh, in, in movies that are uh, uh, unintentionally hilarious action films. OK, so this one has a weird backstory. It was it was actually a film by a guy named Ron Ordman. Okay, so what happened to Ron Ordman? He had made movies like Untamed Mistress. Uh, he made some uh, The Monster and the Stripper. He was your typical seventies B movie exploitation guy. Sure. He also ran a roller derby on the side. He's in like three <laughs> plane crashes. Okay, <laughs> again. <laughs> Again, look it up if you don't believe me. After the third plane crash, he's like, you know what? I think God's trying to get my attention. So he goes to a church and he meets this like fire and brimstone teacher, uh, preacher. And he has an idea is I will turn this preacher's sermon into a film and I'll do it Ron Ortman style, which means it is, it is, even though the sermon is about like the evils of, of graphic media, it's arguably one of the vi- most violent films I've ever seen. <laughs> now, you look to me, little boy. What is done is done. You now belong to the state. Now, you listen very carefully to what I have to say. We do not want to kill you. We will. Unless you go off it, Ray. Now then. Now he will step on this picture of your Jesus with your heel. Never let you go free. Most of it is communists thinking about elaborate ways to kill Christians. Like, that's most <laughs> of the film. Like, most of the plot. And the other thing, too, Adam, I'm going to play a clip, and I'll, I'll, I'll put this in and post for our listeners. Um, but I want you to hear the accent of this communist because it sounds like it sounds like effing Falkhorn Leghorn. Hold on, I'm going to let you hear. <laughs> Reverend Perkle, are the pictures we are about to see true facts or are they figments of your imagination? I can document every statement that I make in this film and all of the dramatized reenactments are taken from actual events that have happened in Russia, Korea, China, and Cuba where the communists have already taken over. The only difference is that we're using Americans to emphasize that the same thing can and will happen here if they take over. What do you think of the future of America? Are we going to experience years of prosperity? Or will we be trampled down under the feet of our enemies like the horses in the book of Revelation trampled down God's enemies? He sounds vaguely Italian, like Mario. But <laughs> did you say like Wario? Yeah, exactly. it's me, Wario. <laughs> like it may, the accents make no sense. And, and like they find and they show this stuff. They show them like putting bamboo shoots in people's ears. It's insane. The entire movie what? is totally bonkers. Uh, but look at the at the risk of being controversial here. Yeah. There was definitely an era, and it still exists to a large extent, but there was an era where there was an extreme fetishization of persecution. Yeah, yeah. And, and that fetish, fetishization of persecution only exists among incredibly privileged people. 
It, 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 dude, how many movies? Because you know, both you and I grew up in relatively, you know, conservative parts of the country and and in in religious households or, or religious communities. How many movies were we shown growing up where there's literal beheadings depicted? Yes. Like, hey, this one's good for children. Like, it, yeah, it exactly. just shows like the whole the whole motivation of the characters in like these Revelation weird apocalypse movies is not to get beheaded. Like, that's that's yeah, the exactly. entire character motivation. Yeah, and 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 the message is like, look, look how persecuted we are as the most uh, most common religion in the, in the country. <laughs> yeah. And in the world, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. All right, Adam. So that's my that's my double feature. You can watch scenes from Invasion USA on YouTube, which I highly, highly recommend. And also, if Footmen tire you, what will horses do? You can watch that in its entirety on YouTube, which I'm not sure I recommend. But it is the <laughs> accent alone. The accent alone <laughs> is... It, 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 because it's like, who does a devious foghorn leghorn? Like he's supposed to be <laughs> a character that represents whimsy, you know, not, not I mean, literally the scene. Well, hello there, son. Let me get, he literally in that voice asked the kid to step on a picture of Jesus. <laughs> like what kind of sociopath made this? All right. Adam, that's my two and three, a double feature. What are, what's your number three and go ahead and do number two on your list of unintentionally hilarious horror films. Sure. Okay. So, uh, number, number two for me, um, or n- number three, if we're counting down, okay. uh, is actually a really good movie. Right, okay. it's it's a fundamentally good movie. It's a very inventive movie, but it's yeah. also hilarious. Okay, uh, it's called Phantasm. Okay, right? so Phantasm is it's it stands up there with kind of the absolute icons of the horror genre, like Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth, Hellraiser, all those things. Probably more towards the Hellraiser side. Like it's it it's definitely like an iconic horror movie, but it's more of a deep cut iconic horror movie, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, it's the, it's the B sides of the horror movie franchise, like icons. Okay. Right? Um, it's incredibly strange, incredibly inventive, but unintentionally a laugh riot. Okay. okay? <laughs> what what, so what makes the, it, what makes it, how can it be a good film on one side, but unintentionally funny on the other? Well, uh, it's incredibly inventive, but, Right, like incredibly creative, uh, and and unlike any other horror movie, uh, but also just like as I go through, you'll kind of understand what, like, why it's so funny. Um, it it centers around these brothers, Jody and Mike. Right okay. now, Jody and Mike's parents have have died. They were killed in a car crash, and Jody has become Mike's guardian. Okay. okay. Mike is maybe about like 12 and Jody appears to be in his twenties. Okay. Jody looks like if you took all the worst parts of David Hasselhoff, right. <laughs> and, and combined them into, uh, like just some sort of chimera of sleaziness. Okay. Right. So I'm picturing, I'm picturing a lot of chest hair. Is this how that's yeah, translating well, to me? I think I think his chest is baby smooth, but it is exposed <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> of course. Um, but he does have like magnificently feathered hair. Oh, oh yeah. So that was a signature. The the feathered hair, uh, many of the henchmen 
in those films that I discussed, even if they were dyed in the wool communists, for some reason had feathered hair and sunglasses. It's just kind of a henchman thing, you know, like the machine gun around the shoulder, waist high, open shirt, feathered hair. You're a henchman at that point. Phantasm. Is it a nightmare? Phantasm. Is it an illusion? Phantasm. Is it an evil? Yes, you, you there's no other option open to you. Well, you're, uh, you you're 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 probably going to be guarding a yacht somewhere at the marina. Yeah. Like that's the yes. job. Like you're yes. just kind of mill around and and make sure no good guys come. That's the whole job. Yeah, yeah. make sure make sure you're wearing loafers with no socks. <laughs> um, but uh, un- unfortunately, if you take the machine gun away from that picture, you apparently get the legal guardian of a vulnerable child. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the thing about Phantasm is all the adult heroes in this are the creepiest people you have ever come across, right? <laughs> um, because Jody's best friend is an ice cream man. Okay. okay so right away, terrifying. <laughs> and uh, he's an ice cream man named Reggie who looks like a less attractive Clint Howard, okay. right? <laughs> yeah. Ron Howard's brother. Yes. Not exactly known as being Hollywood leading man. Exactly. Not, heartthrob isn't often attached <laughs> to uh, Clint Howard's name. Uh, and yeah, and Reggie, Reggie would be like, he would be like Ron, uh, Clint Howard's stunt double, you know, <laughs> when like, you know, he's doing scenes and, and good looks aren't important. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, so these, these guys are basically the primary adults in Mike's life. Okay. Okay. So, Mike becomes obsessed with this undertaker at the local cemetery. And because he sees the man carrying a coffin just under one arm. Right. So, so Uh, evidently he has some sort of super human strength, superhuman strength, superhuman strength. Again, Uh, not a bad premise. So far. It's a pretty good premise. And, and this is, he is an iconic horror villain called the tall man uh, played by Angus Scrim, this fantastic character actor. And he's, he is legitimately very scary, right? He's a, he's a great character. Um, But so also one of Mike and Reggie or Jody and Reggie's friends has been found murdered in the cemetery, right? Oh, uh, Yes. And we, 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 actually see his murder in the opening scenes of the film in a very gratuitous scene in which a, uh, a, a young woman seduces him on a grave and then murders him. Right. Mm. Uh, That's a very 80s way to start a movie, by the way. It is. It is. And if possible, he's even creepier than Jody and Reggie, right? Like those three guys would go places and people would be like, oh, that's their creepy friend, you know? <laughs> so, like, I'm just setting the bar for, yeah, like, for creepy how, yeah. just to give you an idea of his level of creepiness, the, uh, this is why the, uh, the sex offender registry 
in most states is informally known as Reggie's List. Um, <laughs> You've been waiting for that one, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> I have that in my back pocket for a Yeah, while. it was worth the wait. It was worth the wait. Yeah. Um, but uh, so there's been a murder. Uh, Mike has seen this guy skulking about the graveyard carrying a, uh, uh, a coffin. And so Mike becomes fascinated with what in the world is going on at this graveyard right yeah and uh there's a there's a lot of intrigue there are a lot of chases with mysterious characters as as jody mike and reggie get drawn into this mystery but what they discover is that the tall man is actually some sort of interdimensional being okay who is reanimating the dead and shrinking them down to dwarf proportions. For what did you learn the purpose? Forcing them into labor on his home planet, right? Which looks like a pro. They show a, a, a scene of the home planet, and it looks like a prog rock album, right? <laughs> what, 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 why does he need to shrink them? Because of the increased gravity. On his home planet, <laughs> these so writers really smaller, jump through a lot of hoops here. A lot, know? yeah. So yeah. they have to be smaller and denser, right? Yeah. So it's a very convoluted plan. <laughs> and when Jody and Reggie or Jody and Mike find out that their parents are amongst these reanimated dwarves, yeah, uh, that's what is the final straw for them. That they're like, we have to stop this, right? So yeah. it's like, okay, so you're going to save your parents from not being dead anymore yeah i was gonna say uh, like honestly thanks. look listen if we're if, i'm just saying in the scope of bad guys listen if work needs to get done on the planet these guys you know, these guys are already in the ground dead. are yeah i mean you know yeah. it, it doesn't yeah. seem like that horrific i would mean i would rather have that i would rather that be a reality than the mask that causes kids to heads explode with poisonous snakes you know, exactly. like, there's a final confrontation. They sem- they banish the tall man back to his dimension. Right. Okay. Um, and uh, but then we we focus in and it turns out that this has all been a series of dreams that Mike has been having. Right. Uh, as a coping mechanism for the fact that Jody actually also died in a car crash not long after their parents, right? And we learned that Reggie is Mike's legal guardian, right? So then it's like, oh, it was all a dream. Um, but then Mike, you know, goes up to bed and there's that final gotcha scene where, you know, he's going to sleep and the tall man bursts from the shadows and then, you know, smash cut to the credits. Yeah. Like, oh, but was it? But it's like <laughs> the... uh the horror of that scene is kind of dampened by the existential horror that Reggie is the legal guardian of a minor. Like, that's the part that I couldn't stop screaming the, about. the creepy ice cream man. <laughs> exactly. Like, like, Fantastic. All right, I'm in. All right, number three, Phantasm. Adam, number two, most unintentionally scary horror film. Okay, number two most unintentionally hilarious horror film is a uh, Japanese film called Haosu. Right? Is there is there a plot, or is it just totally surrealist? The basic premise is that uh, these girls on uh, their 
school holiday, these high school girls on their school holiday go to stay with, uh, one of their, uh, it's their aunt who they don't really know, uh, who is an old, uh, lady, kind of an invalid. And they go to her creepy house and, uh, it turns out that, uh, the house is, uh, haunted and the, the aunt is feeding off of the, the girl's kind of life force okay. to rejuvenate herself, almost like some sort of sure. like a psychic vampire almost. And <laughs> yeah, so of as course. the movie progresses, it's like she keeps getting younger and younger uh, while the house kind of devours the girls, right? Okay. Uh, at one point, a, a girl is playing piano and the piano eats her. Uh, <laughs> but not to worry. Because then her crudely green screened body parts dance around the room. So, so Adam, this one is kind of a stretch to be an action movie, but because, and I, I'll say, well, I'll tell you in a minute why I put this in the category of action movie. Um, and it is the only Stallone pick on the list, which honestly, this entire, both of our lists could have, we've could have made Stallone work for 100% Stallone and 100% Stallone three, three, of the uh, five Rambo movies easily could have made this list. <laughs> oh, easily. So definitely, uh, definitely Cobra. Yeah. Could have oh, been on there. Cobra was on my short list. Cobra was on my short list uh, over the top where he arm wrestles for custody of his son. Not a great action movie. <laughs> it's sort of like the roadhouse of arm wrestling movies. Um, yes. All right. So I'm for, mine is not in the Rambo category, but I will tell you why. Uh, I feel like this is the peak unintentionally hilarious action movie in that film is Rocky Four. My name is Tarago. I'm a fighter from the Soviet Union. I fight all my life and I never lose. Soon I fight Rocky Balboa and the world will see his defeat. Soon... The whole world will know my name. Okay, Adam, oh, I want to... There's, there's cases that can be made that this film ended the Cold War. At least in, at least in America, it did. At, I, think, we, I think any, any serious historian would agree with you on that. <laughs> So for people that are unacquainted, uh, Rocky Four is obviously the fourth installment in the Rocky franchise, which Rocky One was a reasonably serious film in that it was, it, it, even though it, it had some corny parts, but it, it, it released to critical acclaim. And people actually at that time considered Stallone a pretty great writer because he's a screenwriter on it as well oh, as an actor. Yeah. Is nominated for an Oscar. Yeah, and but as the franchise wore on, it got more and more cheesy, and 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 Stallone started phoning it in more and more up until the point where they came to Rocky Four. Now, yeah. the plot of Rocky Four is Rocky has made it. Okay, he's living in a mansion. He buys uh, his trainer a robot. Okay, a hilarious 80s robot. But, but that can do things that the technology still doesn't exist. Like, it is a <laughs> robot butler who they, who Polly might have some affection for. Um, well, yeah. It, it's implied. His, yeah, his, his jabroni brother-in-law, um, who, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
uh, somehow reprograms this robot to be his wife. And it has nothing to do with the plot. The robot is just there. Okay. It, it, it's not integral to the film, but you know, if the, if, if there's an eighties robot, there's a chance the movie's going to be good. So Rocky has made it. He, he's got enough money to live in a mansion, drive Lamborghinis, uh, live in a mansion. And his, his former foe turned best friend and training par- partner, Apollo Creed, Basically, decides to do an ex, uh, uh, like a like a non. It's sanctioned, but it's not like a real match for anything. Just sort of to raise money, and, right? Just an exhibition match. Yeah. And by but, the way, it, sh- it should be noted, Jesse, that you know you say about like the the uh, the plot, yeah, of Rocky Four. That's that's being really charitable because Rocky Four is about uh, probably a good seventy percent montage. And I, another twenty five percent footage from previous films. Okay, to that point, I was li- I was recently listening to an episode of a, there's a podcast called The Rewatchables where they rewatch uh, like you know classic movies, and and they brought up a stat of Rocky Rocky Four. It is literally this is not an exaggeration. Thirty percent of the film is montages. Almost <laughs> half of the and the film is only ninety minutes. It is ninety minutes on the nose. It's barely a movie. <laughs> okay, it's it's a lot music video, a lot of of montage. So through montages, basically Rocky Apollo goes to fight uh, Ivan Drago, who is this uh, kind of Russian super soldier. I mean, they literally show the him and them injecting him with steroids at some yes. point at one point in the film. So uh, he's you know this this robotic Russian superhuman. He kills Apollo in the in the ring. Okay. For some reason, Rocky, without consulting his his wife, by the way, uh, uh, Adrian, announces that he is going to fly to Russia to fight Avon Drago on Christmas Day. <laughs> For no reason, it's Christmas. <laughs> on Christmas Day, and avenge Apollo's death. Which is funny, because that is the day that traditionally in the Soviet Union, they would set churches on fire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so uh, yeah, if there's anything that our other films, it's honest. So, but my favorite part is, I've talked about this before, but there is a, a, a train, there's actually two training montages in this Rocky film, but the, the training montage of all Rocky training montages, in my opinion, takes place in this film, because... We it's 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 cut between flashbacks to Ivan Drago working basically in like a, a lab with like tubes yeah. hooked up to him and scientists like Russian scientists with uh you know clipboards monitoring stuff. There's like levels going everywhere and Rocky rents a cabin. Assume, presumably it's in Serbia or, or in Serbia in Siberia. He's in a Siberian yeah. ca- cabin with no fitness equipment. Okay, we are giving eight uninterrupted minutes of this film. Of, of Rocky <laughs> doing things like chopping down a tree, like working out in an old barn, like yeah. running in the snow. He's working yeah, out in a, a bag of rocks. He, at one point, a- literally the workout is lifting a giant bag of rocks. And yeah. he, and the, in the, most of the time he's working out, he's in jeans and a leather jacket. Okay. <laughs> at one point, like spies from Ivan Drago's camp go out to Siberia to spy on him. And Rocky evades them mid-workout by running up the face of a mountain. Yeah. And yes, I'm not, I'm not talking climbing. I, I'm talking... There, there, this is... A, and it's not just a hill. Like, it is a sheer mountain face that he sprints to the top of in a leather jacket and jeans. 
Yeah, it looks like probably a 10,000-foot peak because then he's circled by a helicopter as he raises his arms to the heavens <laughs> and shouts his opponent's name. <laughs> okay, here's why, to Adam, I put this in the action movie because there aren't, like, gunfights like a lot of, you know, but they stop trying with the boxing in this movie. Like, the first couple Rockies... The boxing is, you're not going to be fooled and think you're watching an authentic boxing match, but at least you're like, okay, these guys are doing what we know is boxing. In the fight between Ivan Drago and Rocky Balboa, uh, just what we see in the, uh, in the first three minutes of the fight, Ivan Drago throws 72 punches. 61 <laughs> of them are direct hits to Rocky. 61 <laughs> out of 72. Okay. Like there is no attempt at defense. In the final, the in the fifteenth round alone, Adam, how many punches do you think Rocky Balboa throws in the fifteenth round? In the fifth, is this when Rocky is coming back? Yes, yeah. Kind this is the fight. It's a fifteen round fight. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna look. I'm gonna do prices right rules and try to hit it without going over. So I'm gonna say eighty five. He actually he throws only on screen. We only see thirty seven punches from Rocky. <gasps> Out of wow. those 37, how many were direct hits to Ivan Draco? Like, you know, I'm not talking blocks. I'm not talking grazing. I'm talking out of 37 punches. How many did Balboa plant? Uh, I'm get 15. 36 out of 37. And most of them were directly <laughs> to Ivan Drago's face. Like, the boxing in these movies, like, they don't even attempt to... They, they basically just let each other hit each other in the face and see which ones... That's how yep. fighting well, in boxing in Rocky know, movies works. During, during the filming of that, apparently, Stallone really wanted the punches to look really genuine. And yeah. so he kept telling Dolph Lundgren to hit him harder and hit him harder. Mm -hmm. Apparently... Dolph Lundgren hit him so hard in the chest, he stopped his heart. Oh my gosh. And, and there's no point either because no one's being fooled to think this looks real. Like no yeah. one's seen a boxing match where both guys hit each other directly in the face every punch. But that's that's the entirety of Rocky. I, I encourage people that they, if they think, if they have in their mind what they think Rocky Four is, oh, that's the one where he beats Ivan Drago and wins the Cold War. Go back and watch Apollo's death scene. And it was like, I want to take footage from an 80s movie and edit it in a way that's remarkably cheesy and takes all of the emotion out of it. Like, it just slow-mos the people in the ring going, no! No! <laughs> and then Ivan Drago just, you know, it ends with him going, if he dies, he dies. dies. He dies. <laughs> what started out as a joke has turned out to be a disaster. Creed appears to be in very serious condition. It is as bad as you can remember. Okay, Rocky Four is top spy list. Adam, your number one uh, most unintentionally hilarious horror okay, film. Number one, and I think that this would be number one for a lot of people, okay. has to be Troll 2. Okay. okay. Yes. And I have a, to. A, a classic, so bad it's good movie. Classic. Probably, maybe in the top five list of like legendary so bad that they're good movies yeah along with like the room and uh manos the hands of fate yeah stuff like that like troll 2 always gets mentioned in there and it earns it first of all it is not a sequel right <laughs> there is no movie preceding it called troll did, did, did okay? they ever explain that move i think maybe they just wanted to give it credibility with you know the uh 
the incredibly selective troll movie enthusiast crowd. <laughs> like, you know, we need to know that there's some sort of legacy here before we spend our hard earned We're going to invest a, in another hour and a half movie. of a troll it's movie. Yeah, exactly. It's a crowded market here. Yeah. Why should you get our hard one dollars? <laughs> so, yeah, so they decided to name it Troll 2. Secondly, the word troll is never once uttered throughout the entire movie, right? <laughs> the monsters central to the movie are goblins and are referred to as such throughout the movie. Uh-huh. So you you got to wonder if like they did the movie and a studio exec's like, dude, we're calling it Trolls 2 that sh- or Troll 2. You know, like we're just figuring out who cares, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, sorry. I know you filmed this whole thing about goblins, but you know, the, the, uh, the <laughs> we focus group we already, we already, come back. We already printed the Troll 2 posters. So. Yeah. <laughs> we focus grouped it and Goblin just didn't play. Um, but uh, <laughs> trolls are yeah. hot right now yeah yeah and by the way any parents out there you know uh just be wary because this seems like the kind of thing that a well-meaning grandparent could stumble across in a, a walmart bargain bin and think that they're they're buying your child the uh, justin timberlake you know, the, yeah the next installment in the anna kendrick justin timberlake movie just delightful <laughs> yeah it is delightful i i have seen the the second one twice in the theater now and uh i i deeply enjoy it yeah yeah <laughs> they, they, there's there's a lot of subversive humor in the trolls movie there really but, is yeah. yeah but but not in trolls um, too yeah yeah not so much in trolls too um <laughs> it, uh it's not quite self-aware enough for that so the the uh the plot of uh troll 2 is a uh, a family going on vacation to a, a, a town called Nilbog, okay. which uh, anyone with uh, kind of a rudimentary reading comprehension skills would notice immediately, hey, that's the word goblin backwards. <laughs> um, but it somehow eludes this family. I should, I should also point out... That it sounds like a subtle no- film, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, very, very subtle. It's, it's more what's implied. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I, I should point out that... Um, None of the uh, the people in this movie had any previous acting experience. It was it was filmed by an Italian director and his wife, who both directed and wrote the movie, and apparently angrily rejected any feedback from the cast that the lines had obviously been poorly translated from Italian and did not read well in English. <laughs> and these weren't <laughs> professional actors. Yeah. But they were, they were, but even by non-professional actors, standards, even by non-professional bad. standards, they were savvy enough to know, like, this is, this is a bit difficult to read in a believable way. <laughs> um, so this family, uh, which includes a, an incredibly annoying uh, young boy, uh, are traveling to uh, the town of Nilbog okay. uh, for a house swap with a, another family. Okay, uh, you know, as as many people usually did in the 1980s, just swap houses with a rural family you've never met before. Yeah, um, and uh, the uh, we should also note that the the young child, the incredibly annoying whiny young child, is the only one who can see his ghost. Uh, the ghost of his departed grandfather, who looks a bit like Ernest Hemingway. Okay. <laughs> they uncover a plot, or the young, the child does anyway, of these goblins uh, who are vegetarians. It turns out all the townsfolk are actually goblins in disguise. 
Okay. They're vegetarian guns, and their evil plan is to turn humans into vegetables and then consume them, which feels like adding about five steps yeah. to <laughs> your to your to your eating process. Yeah. Like, you know, vegetables are a thing that exist. And <laughs> They're a lot more readily available than humans. That, that's a common thread in in a lot of these horror movies is villains that had, didn't really think through the plan. You know, like exactly. there was a lot of easier ways to get things done. You know, yeah, like there's there's one guy kind of at the back of the town hall meeting of goblins, like kind of like sheepishly raising his hand, like guys, uh, have we we ever we ever thought about like going to a farmer's market? Or something. No, you, you know, I'm stupid. Stupid. I'm sorry. Just forget I said anything. Yeah, yeah. Turn people into vegetables. That's yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go. Let's go. With, let's go with Mike's. Yeah, exactly. A place where they're literally produced for sale for consumption. I like the people idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's because Mike was so charismatic. You know, like yeah. yeah the the no one wanted to. No one in the town hall meeting wanted to stand against him. Like, you know, what do we need? We need vegetables to live. <laughs> what do we have? Magic. How do we use it? Make vegetables? No, you idiot. <laughs> We coax unsuspecting people to our town and we slowly transform them into vegetables. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah that, I mean, that, either that, one, we can go with either plan. I mean, we'll try yours. That's the next yeah. thing I said. Like, yeah, I mean, that sounds good. Like, yeah, let's go with that plan. Does it live um, up to the reputation of being as bad as, as people make it out to be? Oh, my goodness. It exceeds it. It exceeds it. Like, Literally, when the when the townspeople finally reveal themselves as goblins, you can see the actors' faces through the eye holes and mouth holes in the goblin masks. <laughs> they didn't even try. Yeah, yeah, like it's uh, it's the kind of movie that is filmed with the level of incompetence that you would imagine, like production halting while the director figured out which end of the camera you're supposed to look through. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and he still probably got it wrong. So yeah. it's it's up to this young, irritating boy who is the most irritating child you will ever see on film. It's like like every line he says, like grates on your eardrums, like feeding a parrot through a paper shredder. You know, like uh, and and his ghost grandfather, his uh, his. Uh, Ernest Hemingway ghost grandfather. It's up to them to save the family. I, I love uh, how there's like a random ghost because there doesn't need to be a ghost, right? I mean, no, yeah, I mean, other, otherwise we, we just know this is goblin magic. Like the, the, you know, ghosts don't need to be involved in this. No, exactly. It's like it doesn't take it doesn't take any supernatural powers to figure out the goblin's plan. Uh, but the, the thing I love about this is that there are a few actors in it who just like they just commit to the role they're eating her and then they're going to eat me There's an uh, actor who's playing like a a goblin witch queen, and my goodness, she like she doesn't just chew scenery; she just like she swallows it whole. Like it is, 
the most committed performance I have ever seen. Um, and there are a few nice kind of body horror gross out moments where uh, the uh, the teenage daughter of the family, her boyfriend and his deeply irritating friends follow the family uh, in an RV uh, and decide that they're going to camp right outside the town and one by one, you know, are, are turned into, uh, into vegetables. How long, what's the process for like, what's the length of time before you're like at the goblin spell and you're actually turned into the vegetable here? It takes a long time. It takes a very long time. (laughs) Complicating matters. It's not the greatest goblin spell. Yeah. You really have to plan ahead. Like if you're hungry right now as a goblin, this isn't, the the method you want to you want to employ you know <laughs> you, like you might want to go to the farmer's market on that exactly yeah. you need to yeah. you need to plan ahead like i'm going to be hungry like maybe three four days from now you know one of the the teenage sidekicks who gets turned into a vegetable i'd say it takes roughly half the running time of the movie for his trans transformation to be complete <laughs> so yeah it is they're playing the long game yeah in no <laughs> the, pay, the payoff though once you get like a big zucchini you know oh man you couldn't have gotten that a, any other way yeah <laughs> well well adam i i this makes me want to revisit well not just revisit visit some of these films for the first time um trolls 2 is that i i feel like that was on netflix for a while do you know where people can watch it I, I honestly can't remember where I found it the last time I watched it. Uh, it might have been on one of the streaming services. But there's actually, apparently there's actually a documentary, a really good documentary. I haven't seen it, but it's supposed to be a really fantastic documentary about the movie, uh, the process of making it, and kind of the, uh, the, the cult following it's gained. Mm. Uh, and it's directed by the... Uh, the guy who played the the kid in the movie, oh. the guy who played the the little kid, and uh, yeah, apparently it's fantastic. It's called Best Worst Movie. Well, I'm going to put that on the list too. I, I love bad good movies, and I love that it has happy in it. At least the kid turned out. You know, at least he's in oh, on the joke. Uh, it, it's got one of those gotcha endings. Oh, what's the? Well, let's go ahead and spoil it real quick. Okay, what's so the, the gotcha yeah. ending is that uh, everything seems to have returned to normal, and then the, the you know the uh, family returns home um, and uh, they've defeated the goblins and then the kid comes downstairs to find the goblins eating his mother uh, which you know is a pretty brilliant twist because they did nothing to set it up and it makes no sense whatsoever yeah I was going to say I thought you guys were vegetarians jerks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well Adam dude this was a blast man Oh man, yeah. Let's do it again. Yeah, let's absolutely let's absolutely do it. Absolutely do it again. We both have children around the same age, so I feel like a kids uh, uh, show listed is in order. But uh, uh, there's there's a wellspring of stuff to talk about there. Yeah, exactly. Well, buddy, this was fun, man. It won't be. We, I'll make sure it's not uh, not it's not this long before we we do this again, dude. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, buddy. Thanks I'll for see having you, man. me on, man. Yeah. All right, everyone, that is it for this episode of Listed on the Ironclad Content Network. Hey, if you like the show, I know every podcast has to do it, but it really does help. If you like the show, leave a rating and a review. I really appreciate it. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.